Looking for a job isn't easy. It used to be that you could apply at a big name tech company and build a great career for yourself. But times have changed. Many of these companies have gone full woke. And if you aren't the right gender, ethnicity, you don't use pronouns, or if you're not an activist for the preferred cause, then good luck. Why would you risk your career on that? At Red Balloon, we're connecting good employees with top quality companies that value you for your skills and your work ethic, not your social activism score. Employers who post jobs on Red Balloon are focused on creating an enjoyable and productive work culture, free from divisive woke mandates. So if you want to find a serious career path without the nonsense, come to Red Balloon and post your resume today. Because you shouldn't have to choose between your job and your values. That's redballoon.work, where you can find your future. Home. It's where you build your legacy. Where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first. Or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy. He's back! Pastor Toby! Yes. Chuck Knox, I'm the Waterboy. Good, good to be with you guys on Cross Politics. Toby was gone for about a week and a half, you know? 14 like days. That. Enough days to finally make us miss him. I'm, I missed him on day one. I'm just very clear did you? about that. Uh, yes. right. It's about day 13 yeah, for no, me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this live. Every, every day that he's not here. <laughs> I feel really loved right now, as you can tell. Takes only takes 13 days for my good friend Gabe to finally miss me. That's great. Hey, uh, this show's brought to you by High Contrast Hymn Books. If you don't teach your kids the Lord's songs, the world will teach them its songs. Ooh. The brand new High Contrast Hymn Book is designed to help you teach your children the most beloved songs of the Christian faith. It's Captivating illustrations will create special moments of truth, goodness, and beauty in your home every day. So get a copy today for your family. And do so by going to highcontrasthymnbooks.com slash FLF. That tells them that we sent you. That's www.highcontrasthymnbooks.com slash FLF. Hey, we're really grateful to have with us uh, Mr. Martin Koldorf. He's a Swedish biostatistician, member of the FDA's Drug Safety and Risk Management Advisory Committee, he co-authored the Great Barrington Declaration oh, yeah. Bars. with our friend uh, Jay Bhattacharya, yeah. which called for the lifting of COVID restrictions in order that herd immunity might be developed. He's a professor of medicine at Harvard for 18 years, uh, but as of 2021, is on leave. Oh, surprise. It, it says. You're still part of the FDA? You're still a member of the FDA, too? Uh, I was part of that committee for three years uh, until uh, uh, sometime last year. Okay. <laughs> So, it's a uh, it's a three year appointment, so it uh, you do it for three years, and then somebody else takes over. I see, uh, I see. So, Martin, I, I know this is a gigantic question, but I, I we when we when we we've, we've been hitting this since 2020 <laughs> February. Uh, we've been follow, we've been following you. We've been following the work of Jay. Um, but I, we want to ask each of you because I, I don't think we can say it enough. How has how COVID was handled? Why is it the biggest public health mistake? Maybe in history. I think it is. And why is a good question. 
there was some type of herd uh, thinking. Uh, people were not thinking clearly, and the debate was uh, discouraged, uh, to put it diplomatically. Mm-hmm. And we did it wrong in most of the world. There were a few places that managed to do it right. Uh, uh, Sweden, for example, uh, did not uh, uh, kept schools open uh, and did not lock down in the same way as most other countries. And uh, uh, Florida is another example. And there are a few more, but uh, in most cases, we basically, uh, uh, through the basic principles, the fundamental principles of public health out the window. I don't. I can't help but think that this was more of a social engineering project or more of a play on our society than it was an actual um, attempt to uh, deal with a pandemic. Does that that question make sense? It does. It certainly wasn't proper public health uh, because uh, all the focus was on COVID. And that's not public health. You have to consider all other diseases. So these mm. lockdowns generated a lot of collateral public health damage. Uh, people who didn't get the cancer treatment or cancer screening, uh, cardiovascular disease outcomes were down. Uh, we have enormous mental health problems like diabetes care uh, and so on. So uh, this was uh, a disaster in terms of public health. So. Uh, uh, there is other explanations that you, so it's a good question. I'm sorry, go ahead. I just kind of related to that. I, when the pandemic started and for us in March, basically here in Idaho, because our, our city went a, a wire tripped in our local city, but we found, you know, Dr. Ryan Cole pretty quickly. We found yeah. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya pretty quickly. We had them on the show. I want to say April, maybe yeah. May, yeah. like really quick. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, and the whole pandemic, they were super helpful and all this, but they ran court on masks. Today ran court. That's right. Plenty yeah. of information on masks. Yeah, and so we we were interviewing. I think people who were getting it pretty quickly from the jump back in March, April, May, twenty twenty. Um, we should have had you on earlier, uh, also. Um, but did you feel like you were on an island uh, as you started processing the pandemic? I mean, obviously, are you on? You're on leave from Harvard for a reason. It's to me, it would seem like. It was very weird and very stunning because what I what I understand, having worked with uh, infectious disease outbreaks for a few decades, uh, was very different from what I read in the media. And when I talked to my colleagues, who I have sort of a personal relationship, most of them agree with me that uh, focus protection, better protecting the high high risk older people, and uh, not locking down everybody, would be the appropriate response. Uh, but the the media and also the scientists who were sort of given given a, a platform by the media was saying other things. Wow. You know, you said this um, really is the worst public health um, mistake in history. I, I can't help to think, you know, uh, looking at the last three years, a lot of people feel that it's over and that we're out of it. We just have some... Um, residue from the last couple years but if this really is the worst public health mistake in history there has to be more fallout from this that we don't even see yet right what do you think that is well i think that's true because the uh, the pandemic i think uh, ends and then it goes into an endemic stage just like the other coronavirus that we have been lived in lived with with uh, uh, over 100 years 
but the collateral damage uh, is going to be with us for a long time. The fact that children didn't get proper education for a year or even more in some places, uh, that has long-term consequences on their lives, uh, both in terms of their uh, social life, their their health, and their uh, economic potential. So uh, that's going to be with us for for uh, until uh, for a whole generation. And also, let's take cancer, for example. So let's say a woman who didn't get her cervical cancer screening, she didn't just die immediately on the spot because that's not how cancer works. But uh, instead of living another 15, 20 years, she might now die two or three years from now. So uh, these uh, public health consequences are things that we're going to live with for decades. Um, unfortunately. Uh, as someone who's worked on the safety of vaccines, what are some of the concerns you have with the long-term effects, uh, particularly of, of the mRNA vaccines? So we obviously don't know much about the long-term effects because the, we have only had this vaccine for a couple of years. Uh, we know that there are uh, an increased risk for myocarditis, which is the inflammation of the heart. And uh, especially in uh, younger men. So we know the adverse reactions. So the key thing, I think, when thinking about the vaccine is that if you go back to 2021, uh, it made sense for older people who hadn't had COVID to get the vaccine because they were at high risk for, uh, for dying from COVID. So somebody who's like 77 years old, for example, or, uh, or uh, 69 years old or 83 years old, so they had a high risk of COVID mortality. So even if there's a small risk from the vaccines, it makes sense to take the vaccine. On the other hand, if you're a young adult or a child, or if you already had COVID, so you have natural immunity, so we know that natural immunity from having had COVID is better, stronger than the immunity from the vaccine. So if you've had COVID, uh, then... Uh, you didn't need the vaccine. And if you're a child or a young adult, the risk from COVID is very, very, very small. Uh, for children, it's less than the uh, typical uh, uh, season from the annual influenza. Mm. So there, since the benefit is very small, even a small risk from the vaccine will sort of tip the balance to make it uh, more detrimental than beneficial to the person. I so think, it's a very age-specific, uh, how you want to deal with a vaccine like this is very specific by age, but instead they mandated it from, for everybody, why, which I think was very, very bad. Why, why do you think they did that? I mean, why, why was there such this extreme, like everybody's got to get it, everybody's got it with you know threats of people losing their jobs uh, and so forth? Uh, it's there's no logical, there's no scientific explanation to it. So uh, we're going back to the uh, sort of social societal things, which maybe as you you uh, understand just as well as I do, or <laughs> probably much better than I do. Uh, so uh, I don't I don't know why that is because it's very obvious that uh, I wrote a tweet uh, uh, in 2021. As asking a simple question, stating that to think that everybody should get vaccinated is just a scientific flaw. I think yes, nobody should get vaccinated. Hmm. If you're old and you haven't had COVID, then it's good. But if you have natural immunity or if you're uh, or children don't need it, yeah. Have you uh, that was censored by Twitter? Right. You were were you kicked off Twitter because of that tweet? 
Uh, I was censored a few times, and I was suspended for, I think it was about three weeks at one point. <laughs> wow. right, right now, we're suspended on YouTube this week. It's, in, it's insane. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That doesn't make any sense. No, no it, it doesn't. Um, do you think – I can't remember what professor was talking about. Uh, we, had, we, we, we talked about this on the show about two weeks ago where maybe it's a doctor, not a professor, a researcher – I'm talking about how the vaccine was getting in all the way into like men's uh, semen, yeah, um, and spread and could could potentially spread yeah, to the woman. Ar- Arnie, um, what's his name? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I'll find it real quick. Go ahead. Uh, are are you seeing that the vaccine is is like that? I, I don't know absorbent in the body. And that is the potential of the vaccine doing that kind of damage. So uh, that's not really my area of expertise because as an epidemiologist. Uh, I sort of know how to look at population data and looking at this, uh, the data on the safety and efficacy of vaccines from clinical trials or case control studies. Uh, I don't think there's been any uh, ethnological studies on that topic. So that's question then of understanding the biology okay. of, uh, uh, of both this new technology as well as uh, uh, the, the body. So that's better to ask people who have that expertise. Yeah. I don't. So there was a rem- I, another reminiscent question I had was: I remember when the pandemic broke. All of a sudden, like I'm this, I'm this lay person, you know, this lay citizen, this yeah. common citizen, and and we couldn't really trust anything the CDC was telling us. No. Nope. <laughs> uh, any anything like the major media sources were telling us. So we all started like reading scientific studies on masking and and started, you know reading about epidemiology and stuff I'd never imagined my my mind that I would have to study and I remember looking through all like the historical literature of of all these uh, art uh, randomized control studies about masking not being effective for the general population and then of course our US surgeon general in in February of 2020 said please stop buying masks we need to keep these for doctors they aren't effective for general population and 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 um and then everything and, and then everything flipped and then everything flipped and then and then we also People start um, started talking about how um, uh, immune. Uh, you, 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 there, there was no discussion of immunity natural from immunity. natural immunity yeah. from all this. So there's like immunity, there's yeah. the masking thing, which was crazy to me, and then the immunity immunity thing, which was crazy to me. And 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 anything, any common sense that we knew about epidemiology and viruses and pandemics seemed to all be thrown out the door in 2020. And I felt I was the insane one. In a lot of ways. <laughs> well, it turns out it wasn't you. It was CDC. It was insane. <laughs> you know, this is interesting. I'm, I'm, as we're talking, I'm watching you. You're really laid back. And, <laughs> and I have to wonder, you know, maybe it was when, was there any point at any of this conversation over the last couple of years where you're, you're starting to have the conversation, you get censored on Twitter, and you know what? You start pulling out your hair. I just got to know. At what point did you kind of go... You guys are crazy. This is really simple. And you still have hair. <laughs> yeah, I still do have my hair. So I guess uh, uh, it was very frustrating in the beginning because I tried to speak out. I wasn't able to uh, uh, publish it here in the U.S. Uh, I'm a native of Sweden, so I was able to publish in the major newspaper, daily newspapers wow. in Sweden. Wow. But uh, uh, in the U.S. it was very difficult. And uh, then eventually in August of 2020, I managed to finally write something against, uh, arguing against school closures. Uh, and uh, that was in CNN, uh, but CNN Espanol. Uh, <laughs> CNN English didn't want it. 
Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So I just got to know, we were talking about this earlier. If this really was, you know, high threat level pandemic, the way that they tried to paint it at, at yeah. the beginning, where we're going to have people laying out in the in the streets who are just going to be falling clean out. If this was at that type like, of. Like like plague. Yeah, plague. Pa- Black yeah, plague. Absolutely. You know. And, and this really was at that level. Everything that we've studied now post that has proven that it didn't work. Masks didn't work. Social distancing didn't work. Shutting down our companies didn't work. Vaccine. Uh, forced vaccine didn't crush, work. Crushing the curb. The vaccines <laughs> yeah. didn't work. So if we really had a plague on our hands, would we have made it? Uh, well, it depends on what the disease is. But right. uh, for COVID, we knew very early on, uh, just from the uh, data from uh, very early 2020, from the data from Wuhan in China, that while anybody can get infected and everybody will sooner later get infected, uh, there was a huge risk gradient by age. So that people, older people were more than a thousand fold higher risk of dying from this than, uh, than younger people. We knew that from the very beginning. So, uh, uh, what we should have done, we should have actually done more to protect older people because we didn't. We didn't protect nursing home residents very well. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's part of the the huge fiasco of this disease that we didn't protect the people who needed protection, and then we put all these restrictions on, on those who who uh, who had very small risk, and uh, that was very very damaging to other aspects of public health. So, Martin, but I guess too, the question I'm having is. Do we have, like Gabe just said, CDC, NIH, WHO, like they all failed us. Are we ready to handle anything, though? <laughs> uh, I don't think CDC and WHO are ready to handle anything right now. Um, wow. I mean, this thing with uh, national immunity is, is pretty amazing uh, uh, that uh, the current CDC director questioned whether we, there would be immunity after we had COVID. We have known about national immunity for two and a half thousand years since uh, 430 BC at the Athenian plague. They knew about it. And then suddenly three years ago, uh, some people questioned it, uh, didn't think it existed. Wow. So we're doing. Uh, so that's, and, and you know it. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, parents know it. They, uh, uh, they, uh, you have this uh, diseases and you know if you have measles, you don't. You don't get it again. And for some diseases, uh, you don't get that perfect protection as you do for measles. So you can hide it again, but then you don't have, you have it as much milder, which is what happened with COVID. If you've had it, you can get it again, but it's a much milder disease and eventually will be like a common cold. Uh, That's sort of encouraging and really sad all at the same time. Um, um, Martin, do you think we need to have a COVID commission? No, yes. no, and, and, and if, no, and, and, no. And if, and if, if, I guess if Martin is and Jay Bartatari are on it, it, Martin yeah. and Jay are going to run it. Okay, I, I, okay. But it, it, what are you suggesting exactly? What would that look like, and and how would we prevent it from turning into yeah. these people who failed us, circling the wagons and telling us that we yeah. all over, we were the ones that overreacted. They were just doing their best in a hard situation. Well, I think they're trying to do it, uh, or some of them are trying to hide, but I don't think that will succeed. Uh, so uh, we do need, I think, a commission where we honestly ask these questions. And it's a question about why, why, why were there mask mandates when there was no uh, evidence that they were very efficacy, had much efficacy? Uh, why were there vaccine mandates? 
for everybody. Why um, uh, why didn't we protect older people that are doing people at nursing homes? So there are many such. Uh, why didn't we do more clinical trials early on for a whole range of variety of potential treatments? Uh, so there are many of those questions that I think we should ask, and uh, uh, there should be a commission, and maybe there should be multiple, one national, maybe three states. But uh, with uh, seven colleagues, we put together an 80-page document called the Norfolk Group uh, uh, Report, yep. where we uh, ask uh, 80 pages of these questions that the commission should ask. Hmm. Are you in favor, uh, uh, you know... Um... Uh, last question here. We probably got to go, but are you in favor of like Nuremberg trials for some of the um, coercion that was embedded in all this? Uh, I'm a public health scientist, so I speak up what I think is the right <laughs> uh, uh, public health measures. And when people say things that are not true, I call them out on it. But when it comes to the legal things, I think that's what the lawyers to deal with. Yeah, they did great in all this too. They were fantastic. They're amazing. Yeah. The lawyers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them, <laughs> a couple of them were. <laughs> wow, I do like the idea that he he, he mentions there of potentially. I mean, I mean, you don't have to necessarily wait for it to be national or international to do a commission. Yeah, I mean, we could do it by state. You could do it even potentially maybe by county. I mean, a lot of yeah. our states had health districts That's true. Yeah. that were doing, I mean, a lot of these, these well, city councils create commissions all Dr the time. Draconian yeah. things came down from local yeah. um, health um, districts. districts. Or, yeah. And I mean, you, at least doing uh, trying to work at a local level yeah. for accountability. I think we need to do it yeah. now. And, um, and I really appreciate the work you've done. And what's the name of that document again, the questions that we should ask? Uh, Norfolk group. Uh, so it's, it can be downloaded uh, at the, norfolkgroup.org okay. yep. well, it's an 80 page PDF file so everybody go download that's it that's good and then start working on your local yeah. health districts and your local officials that's right um, and um, because that's actually not a bad play I mean you know I start mean, local I mean just yeah I mean at, yeah. at the very least think about your own neighbors think about your own yep. families your yep. own churches yeah and and start working there and who knows maybe um, you'll start something mm. hey Martin thank you for coming on cross politic I, I appreciate you I've been following you from the beginning and yes, I've been sir. grateful to have your yes, voice sir. out there sir thank you so much for having me it's been, it's been a delight talk, talking to you right. appreciate you <laughs> thanks Bye, Martin, Martin. Ah, uh, we should have had the song before we had the beer, but I forgot. It's so long since we've done this, I forgot the tradition. No, I, I, the tradition I'm is. I'm sorry, I failed us. I didn't, I didn't the pour, tradition is. I actually didn't pour my beer yet. Oh, yeah. well. The mission of Armored Republic is to honor Christ by equipping free men with tools of liberty necessary to preserve God-given rights. In the Armored Republic, there's no king but Christ. We are free craftsmen. Body armor is a tool of liberty. We create tools of liberty. Free men must remain ever vigilant against tyranny wherever it appears. Yes, sir. God has given us the tools of liberty, need to defend the rights he bestowed to us, and Armored Republic is honored to offer you those tools. So visit them today at AR, the number 500, AR500armor.com. Baron Psalms. All Cheers. All those who trust Cheers to the king. in God the Lord shall be like Zion's hill. This is shall uh, be this is Brian Sauvé's version of Psalm 125, but I'm not going to start yet. Is this his newest release, Toby? I have no idea. Okay. But it's a good one. Yeah. This is Psalm 125. 
They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people, from henceforth even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace shall be upon Israel. So, this is one of the Psalms of Ascent. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, mm. which cannot be moved. This reminds us of the house that was built on the rock. Those who hear God's words and trust and obey them, that house cannot be moved. The storms come, the wind comes, the rain comes, and it cannot move. And notice with that, it in the parable that Jesus tells, the man who builds the house on the rock and the man who builds the house on the sand, both of those men go to church. Mm. Yeah. Oof. Both of them hear the word. Yeah. Only one of them obeys the word. Mm. Yeah. Both of them have private devotions. Mm -hmm. Both of them have small groups. Both of them go to Sunday school. Yeah. Both of them send their kids to Christian school. Mm -hmm. Both of them homeschool. But only one baptizes the baby. Only sorry. one of them obeys. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. And obedience <laughs> sometimes includes water. <laughs> but well, the, preach, preacher. But the reason they cannot be moved actually becomes clear in the next verse. Mount Zion is only one mountain in the midst of a whole range of mountains in Israel. And just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people forever. Mm. That's our safety. That's our confidence. And this isn't because Jerusalem never had wicked rulers, because they certainly did. I mean, yeah. you remember kings? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's rough up in there. It's mm -hmm. a mess in there. Mm -hmm. But God guards on every side. God guards on every side, which means, which means he's at work inside. <laughs> right? He's not just outside. He's also inside, on every side. And he doesn't allow the schemes of the wicked to overthrow the righteous or ultimately even corrupt them. Mm. The psalm ends with a prayer that God would do good to those who are good and lead the workers of iniquity away mm -hmm. so that peace might be upon his people. Sometimes good reform types, like us, have trouble with lines like this. How can we pray for God to be good to good men when there aren't any, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Don't yeah. you know your T, your total mm -hmm. depravity? Yeah. But this is to misunderstand the gospel. It's true that no one is good of themselves, all by themselves, but that doesn't mean that no one is good. Right. Because God has come and he surrounded his people with his love and his mercy. He's taken away all our evil, and he has given us his goodness. We are good because he is good. And it isn't humble, it isn't humble to deny that he has made us good. If he says, you are my people, and my goodness is upon you, yeah. it's, Believe it. it's arrogance to mm -hmm. say, no, no, I'm not good. That's right. No, you arrogant, That's you right. arrogant, boastful man. Yeah. No, you shut up. <laughs> if, the, if the king says you have God said, if the king says you're good, you're good. Yeah, that's right. right. So this is the exhortation today. Think, pray, believe, and act as though you are God's people. Mm. You are his beloved people. You've been marked in baptism as his own. And by faith, you have received his goodness, his righteousness. And therefore, this doesn't make you weak and timid. It ought to make you bold and courageous the God of the universe surrounds you like the mountains that surround Jerusalem. All those who trust in the Lord 
are like Mount Zion that cannot be moved. Mm. So what do you face today? You face health troubles, financial troubles, sin troubles, marriage or parenting troubles, political troubles, whatever. Bring them to the Lord with the faith that goes with being his people. Don't merely listen to the word, but also obey it so that your house will be on the rock. But don't just obey. Obey with confidence. Obey with a smirk on your face. Obey like royalty, like nobility, like your father right. is the king of the universe. That's right. Because he is. Mm. That's right. Amen. Cheers to the king. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. That's good. That's good. It's mm. good to be back, Gabe. It is. Even though it took you 13 days man, to miss me. So good, Toby. So good to have you back, man. So if you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. But I am a little mad that you had Joel on without me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. He was too. (laughs) Did he mention it? I don't remember him mentioning it. (laughs) Over the course of the 20th century, the federal government has taken on the role of being the primary patron of our institutions of higher education. This position came about because of Title IV funding and the easy way students can qualify for Pell Grants. This financial support from the federal government has led many students to acquire rather large amounts of student loan debt. And though student loan debt is very easy to acquire, it is extremely difficult to get rid of. Many people with larger student loan debts have given up on the idea that they could ever pay their debt off because it's almost impossible to cancel student loan debt through bankruptcy. Instead, many people minimize their monthly payment by opting to have their payment based on their annual income. Oftentimes this payment is small enough that it doesn't even cover the interest of the loan, so the loan total is actually growing each month rather than shrinking. This is how people can find themselves in the category of owing over a million dollars in student loans. Many people with these debts are hoping that the federal government will create a loan forgiveness program. The Biden administration has been working to start a program like this, but has been delayed by lawsuits that the Supreme Court is reviewing. At this point, there is no word about how that will go, but this method is not a silver bullet because it just moves the debt from the students who applied for the loan to those who did not apply for it, hardworking families and those who didn't go to college. At this point, approximately 43 million Americans are carrying student loan debt, with that total debt exceeding $1.5 trillion. The debt owed on America's student loans is now seen by many to be the next big financial crisis, a debt bubble that, because it has no collateral except the federal government, will hit America worse than the housing crisis of 2008. Of all the various forms of debt that Americans take out, student loan debt has the highest default rate, with over 10% of the 2015 graduates defaulting within the first three years after graduation. Aside from the possibility of a national student loan crisis, we can actually see the negative impact of this debt on the individual students that carry it. We castigate the next generation for their apparent failure to launch mentality, but we fail to notice the impact that carrying this kind of debt has for moving on from college. You cannot underestimate the power that student loans have in delaying decisions to get married, have children, and buy a house. Many graduates simply must put off these life decisions until they have knocked out their student loan debt. In a bit of poetic justice, colleges are currently alarmed because data shows that across the U.S. we will soon be facing what is known as the birth dearth, 
That is, that since 2007, the nation's birth rate has dropped more than 12%. This means that looking forward to the year 2026, there is a corresponding projected drop in college enrollment because we are going to have fewer high school graduates. Therefore, in a few short years, we will be facing a shortage of incoming college freshmen. And while colleges are busy figuring out how to respond to this coming drought of prospective students, I don't think that they realize the possibility that they have contributed to the creation of this drought. But since the burden of student loan debt has significantly discouraged college graduates from taking the plunge to get married or to start having kids, it is reasonable to suspect that colleges themselves carry some of the blame for this coming birth dearth. Consider the impact of those two June dates, June 22nd, 1944, and June 23rd, 1972. With the first, FDR brought us the GI Bill, which opened the doors for the federal funding of college education. And with the second, Nixon set up the one-two punch of the Pell Grant and the federally subsidized student loan. You can't deny that these programs have brought in a lot of good in that they made a college education a possibility for millions of Americans who lack the means to get there on their own. I'm one of them. Straight out of high school, I joined the Marine Corps Reserves in order to take advantage of the GI Bill. I then used both Pell Grants and student loans to complete my degree. So I can appreciate how for many individuals these programs made college a possibility. But this good thing has come at a high cost as well. Our graduates are now walking across the graduation stage, pulling a $30,000 ball and chain of debt after them. And on top of that, our colleges too have become radically transformed for the worse and not for the better. The torrent of federal money has come with a significant number of strings attached and has reshaped the face of higher education in ways that we, distracted by the free cash, have failed to understand. At New St. Andrews College, we understand the cost that comes with these federal loans. We recognize that some students have to take out loans to go to college, but we also recognize that we are responsible to set an example for our students, so we refuse to accept federal money. This is a cost to us as an institution because we don't get this easy money. Instead, our vision is to offer an education that is truly free, free of government entanglement, and that helps our students be free of debt. We are also committed to making our tuition competitive and financially feasible for students. We believe this is the proper way to solve the student debt crisis. If you would like to follow this conversation, go to our blog where we will continue to post on our unique perspective of federal funding and higher education. The link is in the description or just go to nsa.edu and click on the blog.